Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Shot by Shot. This is Sean. And this is Kevin. And we have an amazing guest this round. He's someone I've personally known for quite a few years. Mark Siegel. He is the founder and creative and editorial director of First Second Books, but he is so much more. Uh, his library is extensive. He's the co-creator, writer, and illustrator of the Five Worlds Quintilogy. He's a writer and artist of Sailor Twain. He illustrated Tiny Dancer, written by his wife, Sienna. And he's also the artist on one of my favorite children's Christmas books, slash Hanukkah books, Oscar and the Eight Blessings. And I, I really can't, I really can't summarize just how much this man has given to comics. Kevin, I, I know you're a little bit newer to the uh, the Mark Siegel fan club, but what was your impression? Yeah, totally blown away. I mean, uh, just listening to the intro, I'm like, holy shit, how does this even <laughs> possible? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a humbling experience to, to uh, listen to that when you try to publish a little bit like I do. But um, yeah, I mean, just a wonderful guy. And uh, I enjoyed the conversation thoroughly and yeah, just really impressed. And uh, when you look at the, the body of work and really groundbreaking stuff, I mean, to, to, to be able to pull all this off, you know, one brick at a time and really just carve out his own place in the industry. I mean, just like you know, there are people that make their name in the industry and they carve out a style or whatever, but it's typically, you know, for, you know, a, a, one of the, the Marvel DC type situations. But this is a guy that, you know, created a, a movement uh, and it's completely, you know, I mean, so many more people that would never read comics are reading comics now because of what he's done. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I think that's what I love most about Mark is, is he's always restlessly searching for the next way to make comics more viable and invite more people into the medium. So a little bit of a full disclosure, I, I used to be a comic book editor uh, at a Paste Magazine, and, and I noticed at some point that I was reading these YA books from first second. I was like, how can these books that are not targeted towards me be so enrapturous, like can be so addictive? And it's just, he knows how to aim for such immaculate quality. And that's how he gets people like Jean Lu and Yang out. There's an American born Chinese TV show about to launch on Disney. And that started as a first second comic book. And, and the fact of the matter is like, even creators who I worked with initially at Pace, like I did a series called Songs Illustrated that paired creators with musicians. And uh, yeah, some of my favorite folks are recruited for that. And he's gonna do the next book with Emily Carroll. Like I adore Emily Carroll and I see her as maybe the most vibrant modern horror cartoonist after Mike Mignola's legacy. And he just invites her in and says, hey, can you do like a 200-page graphic novel? It's really dwarfing how he can do nonfiction. He has a line of political books, how he can like secure books from other countries. I think one of the first things we talk about is he grew up in France. And he wouldn't say he studied under Mobius, but sounds a lot like even if it wasn't he studied under Mobius. Yeah. Even, yeah, even if he, even if it wasn't like in a classroom setting, and it wasn't over, you know, a routine schedule, like 
he was hanging out with Mobius and Mobius was talking to him about best practices. And that just blows my mind. It's like he's the Forrest Gump of comics, except he was already a genius when he came out of the womb. Like, I just don't get it. Well, surely he can't run as fast as Forrest Gump because that would just be something else. We don't have... know this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I made myself laugh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I hope uh, 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 he continues with the success. And I mean, I'm sure he will. I mean, the guy's... Uh, the, the dude was personally hit up by Miyazaki to be the American producers of their one graphic novel. Like that's insane. I, I think he, I think he has decades ahead of him. Yeah, I mean it's pretty funny. Honestly, you said the Forrest Gump thing because that's kind of like there's there's a little bit of a parallel there. Like you just everything he touches is is right, and that's pretty pretty awesome. I yeah, mean, I, I think I think it's less happenstance and him tripping into things more than guiding them because he has excellent taste and like I. We were doing some book photography and I thought what I was doing was so cool because, you know, you don't usually see comic book photography. And I, I put like, I used a Kyle brush to kind of do like a swirl of magic dust around the book. And he takes the PSD and he adds like 10 different layers. And he's like, it's a little bit Disney, but what do you think of this? And it was like he was adding a whole new degree of illustration on top of it. And it took him like a half hour. Uh, like, I, I don't know what he can't do, but, like, I, it's just a, it's a rarity in the industry. But I, I feel like we're going to make him blush and be very uncomfortable after listening to this introduction. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, hey, that's, uh, that's why we're here, right? Yeah. All right, everybody, this is Mark Siegel. Please enjoy. Uh, Mr. Mark Siegel, how you doing, man? Good. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, and uh, as I was just discussing, we had a conversation about before this recording about how this used to be a slightly more alcoholic show and now one fourth of us are upholding that tradition and three fourths are not i know my role you know your role uh but <laughs> brian do your skill at matching beverage to topic is always awe-inspiring so we'll start there uh i'm drinking a what i call a tertiary tea and uh what this is is uh it's a um, like echinacea, ginger, orange peel, and cranberry uh, with a little bit of turmeric. Yeah. And, uh, the, and the reason why I've, uh, I've chosen this is because Five Worlds is the most tertiary colored book that I've ever seen. <laughs> that is, that is great. That is great. Yeah. And is it like five major, there's like five major ingredients there? That, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, turmeric. I actually wonder, you know, each of the five worlds has a map in the back ah. of, of each book in the end papers. And, mm -hmm. and each one of the worlds is coded to a certain color. Yeah, and in the yellow world, which is the in the fourth book, uh, the map has all kinds of yellow references. So there's an island called Turmeric. Oh, it's like awesome. you know the saffron cliffs and like stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> so very appropriate. Thank you. That's really inspiring. <laughs> I want yeah, I want my own cup of it. <laughs> yeah, it totally sounds really good. Uh, but Mark, what are you drinking? water i had a beer i had a beer i was kind of thinking i'd have a beer because it was like this was a late thing and i was like i'll just relax and wait and 
had some chicken soup. <laughs> the question is, I now feel like your taste in water. beer would be pretty excellent. What kind of beer did you have? No, it was a Dora Dam, which I really like. It's a it's a gluten free beer. Okay, it's the only one that I think is actually a good beer. Are, are you gluten free? It's, wow. It's from, yeah. Oh, me it's too. from okay. Barcelona. Yeah, it's really good. I recommend Dora Dam. We're gonna have to talk about a this a little bit off air because I have never had a gluten free beer that made me feel happy. I always feel like no, I just that's ate, right. <laughs> ate rocks yeah. and bread. Yeah, like yeah. bad compromise and. <laughs> no, that's the one. Yeah, well, that's, that's kind of a surprise because uh, I'm I'm gluten free by association. Um, my my girlfriend is yeah. absolutely gluten free, so yeah. so while I'm in the house, I'm gluten free. But when I go to conventions, I am gluten hardcore, full on <laughs> gluten. <laughs> it's all crackers and, and yeah. just rolling around in yeah. <laughs> Yeah, most guys are sneaking out to the strip clubs and Brian's tripping out. We'll get gluten. Sneaking, yeah. sneaking off for a croissant. Oh, yeah. There's a bakery down the street and it's open all night. Yeah. I'm going to make it rain at the bakery. Uh, so, so, Mark, I wouldn't quite call you a triple threat because you're good at so many things. Like, And I'm not just saying this to lavish praise. Like, I've got to witness you in so many different roles. Uh, I, I think the one that sticks with me is just your leadership skills. Like you were able to cultivate such excellence. I want to talk about this later, but the one thing that kind of shocked me is I, I used to work for Humanoids and I got to work with Fedorowski and there was always the myth of one man, but you were mentored by someone who I don't think is being a human being. You grew up in <laughs> France and studied under Mobius. I wouldn't say studied. I, I, I yeah, yeah. I met Mobius when I was fourteen um, at Angoulême, and I had had a, a a comic of my own had been selected for an Amnesty International exhibit. Oh wow! And it was like a very dark comic on torture uh, that I'd done in high school, and it it made it into this exhibit, and the jury included uh, Enki Bilal and and, uh, oh. and Mobius. And and so I met with him and then kept in touch over the years. And like as the years wore on, I uh, I would show him my projects when I was once I came to the States for college and I'd go back to France and I would visit with him in his studio and I would have my, you know, my early attempts, you know, like all the stuff that I showed to him. Um, I'm pretty sure. Maybe he saw my first picture book, actually. But I think mostly he saw stuff that will never see the light of day. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I want to hear about the stuff that will never see the light of day. Was it was it also very cosmic? Was it very psychedelic? Was it in his? It wasn't. I w it wasn't psychedelic, but it was definitely in the cosmic thing. And and our conversations were definitely a bit trance-like, you know. Like, and I wouldn't call them conversations because I, I, I was a pretty tongue-tied. I felt like I was walking among the gods and uh, just kind of sitting, basking, you know. And but I mean, it's the kind of thing, you know, when you're young, you feel like you don't need to bother to learn what story is. Mm. <laughs> you assume, you know, because you are you, you can just go and do great stories. And so, I, those were the types of projects. Like, I would basically, a lot of it was probably very derivative of Mobius and of other people I admired. Um, but he was, 
uh, he was kind with me. He was very generous and very kind. Um, and I would come to his studio and I would sit there and like I had one story with these three characters walking through a desert. And I remember one conversation where he was talking about drawing the desert and, and Mobius, wow. if you've seen his blueberry stuff as under his real name, you know, he is, he, he draws the desert like nobody on earth. I think he really, and, and for him, you know, his, his epiphany happened in Mexico. You know, he went off when he was young, his mother, divorced and married a Mexican guy and he spent some time in Mexico and he said that the arrival in Mexico and the high desert the kind of the very dry high desert was like it just burned itself into his psyche oh man and you see that I mean if you've seen some of his work it's just oh yeah yeah and, and people try and copy it and you can't I mean even the people who are good at like imitating his line there's something kind of ineffable that nobody can quite capture. And, but anyway, so he would talk about my desert pictures and, and he was like, you know, you need to, you need to see like, where are the eyes of the desert? <laughs> where, where's the mouth of the desert, you know? And same thing with your page. When you design your page, where are the eyes of your page? Where's the mouth of your page? You know, things like that. And it would be like, oh, and I would just kind of sit with it, you know, and kind of go home like filled with with stuff. And I saw him, you know, up close drawing, you know, and then like, you know, he'd have like canvases stretched on couches all around where he worked. And he was at a little desk at a little flat table. Like, you, you know, you'd think some kind of fancy art studio and it it's just like a little flat desk in a corner at a window. Yeah. So yeah, that is definitely one of my blessings. It's a weird thing with Mobius because he's a kind of a curse and a blessing for the people who have been close to him. And I, I wouldn't say I was close because it was very intermittent, mm. but it, it did take me many years to kind of just get out from his shadow. Um, and a lot oh, of well, people, he, he casts like just casts an amazingly large, a shadow. big shadow. It's true. It's it's, it's it's almost like trying to fly by Jupiter. You can't yeah. help but get yeah, pulled the in. Gravitational by pull is too much, and that's very true. And and I think the people, in a way, his true heirs are are not the ones who are necessarily close in. They're people mm. a little more on the periphery, and um, but you know, I think he was. He was he was just also doing something very different, like through the medium of comics, than than most people. Because I've I've had the same thing with a with a number of uh, comic illustrators, but isn't it odd once once they get to this certain level of transcendence, they almost speak in poetry. <laughs> you know, it's like you're just listening to them, and it's just like these, you know, words are just kind of like. They, they change your life every time you have a conversation with these guys. Yeah. I mean, I do think that, you know, there's a, it's a depth thing. And it's like people, you know, people get hypnotized by a style. And so you get, you know, people are like, you know, there was a time when there were a lot of submissions coming into for a second that were like really heavily following the Mignola style, you know, like trying to, it's like, and, and getting the angle and the square fingers and the flat blacks and the, you know, all 
and the trapping, but then it's like he, Mignola isn't actually trying to do a Mignola style. I don't think, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was born out of like trying to capture something, trying to convey something, trying to kind of usher you into a particular kind of world or particular kind of storytelling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it's a weird combination of, of both his strengths and his weaknesses sort of joining forces <laughs> to create right. this thing that's that's just uh absolutely amazing and uh, yeah. and, and yeah. a lot a lot of the artists that i really admire they have that you know they have that thing where it's just like where does this come from and yeah. you can't just you can't just pluck the line art right exactly <laughs> yeah that's what I'm, that's what i mean is like you can't just take the surface and and like I mean, yeah, you know, sometimes I think you you need your guru, you need your mentors, you need to, you, you know, but at a certain point you have to escape them. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's, but, that's but, the but killing what you were saying, along the path. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but to what you were saying before about, you know, the, when you meet people who are really good at, you know, the ones who've kind of kind of broken out in some way, you know, and and, and are doing something really original. Like, I think the speaking is because they they speak magic because it's like it's not it's not like in the geekdom <laughs> yeah it's, it's not like you know what i mean like it's like we and i and i speak i'm saying this as a geek myself but it's like you know as a nerd as a as a fan right it's like and the fan part is like it it, it has limits you know but ultimately it's like these you know people are it becomes about being human and about yeah, yeah. the human experience. And so then, and I think when you break into that level with your craft and your art, whatever it may be, suddenly you can speak with, you know, nuclear engineers and orchestra conductors <laughs> yeah. and, you know, tap dancers and like anyone who's taken their passion far enough, it kind of escapes their particular skill. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Much more and, interesting. And, and it, At that it, point, it, it the conversation feels, gets much more interesting. Yeah, it almost feels like you're you're a student of Confucius, because <laughs> you, <know, laughs> um, you know, hanging out with Will Eisner from time to time, he'd say something, and I'm like, well, that that should be written down. <laughs> Mark, when did you discover that like you'd kind of transcended and evolved into your own self? Like, when do you get to that moment? where you learn that you forged your own identity. You know, I feel like some of the best stuff that comes through a person, I think the, like the ego wants to take credit for everything, but it actually doesn't do any of the real work. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, the, the, it's like ultimately, you know, where I, where your identity reveals itself, I think is to me is when you are most transparent yeah. And, and something else's colors are coming through you. And then it's like you find your identity as like a, you know, a conduit of something. And, and so then it's the something coming through you that's important, you know, yeah. as opposed to like the more mediocre level where it's about you, you know, like, and, and there's like, I've heard, uh, who was it? It was Brian McDonald, who's a, uh, he's a story guru, who's uh He's he wrote one of my 
Yeah. 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 Wait, well, Land of the Dead is the newest one that just came out, which is awesome. Awesome book on storytelling. But he was like, you know, he said this thing in uh, one of his storytelling podcasts. He was saying that when a certain director is like, oh, well, in every movie, I have to have a shot like this. Yeah. And he says at that point, it's like they've gone off because because it's about them and it's not actually about the story mm-hmm. right yes yeah, okay. as soon so as someone creates yeah. a filter that mimics what you do <laughs> you know, it's like, right okay then you you need to be like already in the next next place and um but yeah so so i don't know i think you know in some ways i think so much of the world makes like having an identity as a, as a quest but I think the identity, your identity, your unique identity, that's like as unique as your fingerprint, doesn't come from trying to manufacture an identity. It comes from kind of you being at full in your passion. Yeah. And you know, well, it's you know, there's so many ways you could come at that, but yeah. And uh, and and speak speaking to that, uh, one of the things that I think is is kind of fascinating about what you do is, I mean, you are an illustrator uh, and you, you, you can soak up all the credit yourself and do all the work yourself, but um, you are oftentimes working with other people and not even part of the work as an editor, uh, as a mentor. But, um, but the thing that, that really blows me away is the way that you um, work on like uh, Sand Warrior and, and all these stories is where you're just, I think to a certain extent, a true director where you, you're you not the artist. You're not the person that's making all the decisions. You're actually kind of getting out of the way of the work and allowing other people to kind of participate in the creative process. Yeah, thanks for saying that. I I, I do love the um, I love uh, directing. It sounds weird to say, but you know I do. I I love I love um, that particular. You know, like an like an orchestra conductor, like a like a film director. It's like the you know there's something that is kind of. You know, it's also transparent, like in a way. But you're 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 painting, and you know, you're painting. But like the the, in a sense, the brush is the people in the team. You know, and the, the, <laughs> yeah. the uh, um, Mark, I have so much to ask you about this on this subject. Okay, cool. But no, I don't want to cut you off if you keep on going. No, no, I want to hear yeah, this analogy uh, so badly. No, I'm not. <laughs> you know, I I do. I I love that. Uh, there's a certain kind of magic and then it feeds back into when you're just solo working with yourself because you yourself are a kind of orchestra you know have you have many inner lives and many different sounds and instruments and and they're and 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 full of contradictions and different you know powers and impulses and um and it's like you're you're working with a multiplicity even when you're alone, you know, but then working, I mean, five worlds was like a unique experience. And, yeah. and, you know, I've seen from my editorial life, you know, I've seen 
some teams fall apart really badly. Mm. And it's like, and, and so I had like certain cautions in my mind going into five worlds where I was like, okay, what, what's going to fuck this up? (laughs) And, and, you know, the, the obvious ones, right. It's like money. Right. So my brother and I started off with like, okay, we have to be as impeccable as we can be, you know, and I suck with admin. I tend to be sloppy and like, you know, I, I and forgetful, and I, and I was like, okay, I cannot do that here. We have to be super clean and clear and upfront. Everybody knows the deal. There's no like room for like shadow areas or things <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> left unsorted. So start off right with that, you know, and then there there's the other piece which is more in the creative space, which is we moved into a kind of a, a five, at first they were like higher guns, you know, and then they, they really joined in like generating yeah. objects, yeah. you know, which was awesome. And, you would and never I, I would say, that many artists. You would never no, know. it's like one voice. It oh yeah, became, it's, it's it seamless. became like a voice, you know, it's, it, it's, it doesn't belong to any one of us. Yeah. Well, and and I, I think something that's um, that's cool about that is getting to because when when you're solo on a project and you're doing everything, there's a certain amount of. I mean, after you've carried that weight for several miles, <laughs> you know, it like really weighs on you. And and I think like when I've had people color my work, one of the things that's interesting is. I find that I get excited about my own stuff again, you know, because I see what someone else has done with it. See place where someone's taken it to, and it wasn't my plan, but it's just like, wow, that's really kind of uh, it, it. It almost puts you back in the audience for a moment, you know, and you can enjoy uh, the uh, the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, which is awesome. I mean, I feel like that. I I get that from the French, like the current generation, the kind of stars, many of the stars in French comics are people who keep switching between solo projects and collaborations. Mm. And, And in some cases, they are sometimes collaborating as writer and then other times as artist. So they're switching it up in a way that's like, keeping themselves on their toes being pushed outside their comfort zone and then going back with the, the benefit of that yeah to their into their solo projects you know yeah it's really cool that you you found um uh, because to a certain extent the industry doesn't want you to do that <laughs> you know i mean the the american particularly the american superhero industry doesn't really want you to do that it's just like you they carved a lane out a groove for you to sit in and uh and, and you're supposed to kind of do that so uh so it's really kind of cool that you've been able to jump off of those tracks and found a space to do that uh on your own i mean that's a that's a yeah that's a really interesting thing you you bring up because it's like the pressures of you know it's commerce but we're in a business of story and creation and creativity and 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 so you know art and commerce like it's a very awkward dance yeah. even when it goes well there's always like some one of them is stepping on the toes of the other in some way yeah. or another. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you get this weird you know this thing of like okay 
you did something and it worked. So you should keep doing that forevermore, which is, yeah. which is actually anathema to the life of an artist. Like it's, it's, it, it, it goes against what creativity is, which is venturing oh, yeah. into the unknown, right? This is actually, okay, now turn that into the known forevermore. Never, I mean, I had that, my first picture book was Sea Dogs, which was like after 12 years of rejection letters <laughs> like <laughs> on all my attempts. But my first picture book won the Texas Blue Bonnet Award Right. And I was an illustrator and it was a Lisa Wheeler script. And it was this kind of pirates of Penzance in a dog world. Oh, wow. Um, and it was great. And it was like, and I did it in this very European comic style. And so it's all dogs and plenty of like dog puns and dog characters. And I just, I had a blast. And, and I remember there was this moment where what was coming at me from the house was more dog books. Ah. And I could tell, I mean, I knew, and I was, you know, I was young and I was really hungry to get another picture book contract. And, but I could tell this was like a fork in the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> but it's guaranteed success. <laughs> it's it's like it's like it's so appealing, you know. And it's like, and you and you know, you're comfortable doing that, you know. But for me, that is like, okay, that is death. It's like if I go, and it's not. I'm not saying it's the case for everybody. Some people find their zone, and then inside of that, they keep they keep it fresh. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think I think most I think most artists are like that, you know. And 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 not in a sort of, not in a pejorative way, but, but they're, they're nine to five artists. I think most artists are, are like sessions players, you know, and, uh, and, and that they take great joy from that, uh, which I really wish I could. <laughs> you know? but, uh, Kevin, is that, your, I, as the two editors here, is that your experience? <laughs> but, Mark, you, you know, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I was just thinking about how you know, there's you can get sucked in that hole for sure, and a lot of guys uh, have um, and made a shit ton of money doing right. it. Right, exactly. exactly. I, there's one of my, you know, one of my favorite artists from the early '90s, and you know, never changed. Like the, you can look at his stuff from ten years ago; it looks just like it does, you know, today. And like to me, that's not exciting. I'm bored with it now, you know. Um, but you know, wildly popular, but you're like, man, what if he would have just pushed a little bit more, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's interesting that you, that you were aware of that after your first big success. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think nature teaches us that like nothing stands still. It's either growing or it's withering. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, And so, so if you, if something seems to be static, and it's probably withering. Yeah. I mean, and just I think it's, it's true for people and and it, you know it shows up in your it's like whatever you create as an artist is in some ways it's is going to be a self-portrait in some ways it's going to reflect it's going to mirror your development so to me there's like and I and th this is true with my life as an editor like I the projects I'm most excited about with first second I feel like 
they're transformative for the creator. Hmm. They're the ones that like the, that the person who started that project is not the same one who finished it. But the fact that you created one of the most vibrant exploratory. Okay, it's an, it's imprint an imprint of Macmillan. At a corporate, one of the top three, like a corporate publisher. It makes no sense to me. Like you are the guy who went to TCAF, picked out the most esoteric cartoonists <laughs> who are probably still waiting tables and said, come on down, got their books made and were able to sell them. There's so many Venn diagrams that people attempt and don't succeed at that somehow you were able to master. I don't think I'm being psychophantic or overly praiseworthy right now. I think this is all accurate. Maybe a little. <laughs> it, 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 it consecutively no, blows my mind. So I'm curious, can you explain this recipe? Can you explain this approach at all? Maybe. Um, so first off, how yeah. do you convince a corporate publisher <laughs> to do so, what you Okay, do? first of all, I gotta say yeah. something about <laughs> So Macmillan is now, you know, it used to be the in the top five and now it's the top, the big four, right? The big four publishing houses. Yeah. It's the only one that's not actually a corporation, first of all. Okay. Wow. And it's, and it's not, it's, it's not an irrelevant detail because the culture, I mean, you know, yes, it's a big U.S. publishing house, right? So it has, you know, it, ha there is a kind of a, you could say a corporate culture, for any big company, but it's privately owned by this German family, the Holtzbrinks, right? They're the, the older generation that used to run Macmillan, they retired, but they are philanthropists. Oh. And that is, is so, because the truth is, first second would not have happened anywhere else, but Macmillan. That makes sense. And yeah, for sure. For sure, because we were not profitable for like five years, and my I was never threatened. Wow! About wow. my job, I never felt like my neck was on the line. Like I actually, the they were gambling on me, and because I'll give you an example, like the board meetings, they have a board meeting every year. And the Germans come in and the, you know, everybody gathers and they, and they spend as much time reviewing the bottom line of the business as they do contribution to the culture. Oh, wow. So that we were, huge. so first second, right. was like, we had stuff like we had more starred reviews than any other imprint, you know, first year, the first few years, right away, right. we started getting these crazy awards that no, had never been given to comics before, you know, American born Chinese happened in our first year in, in stores, you know, we were like, I thought that stuff was going to take 10 years to get us into like the literary conversation with comics. And it happened the first year. And that mattered hugely. And I swear, I am certain, certain that you name any of the other big five at the time, like I would have been axed by year two. <laughs> Guaranteed. There's yeah. no way, there's no way that like a company in America today is losing money after two years. You know, in, in our case, we were, and then five years, we were flat. 
And it wasn't until the seventh year where suddenly their investment really paid off. And it started paying off like it went on this crazy curve and it has stayed on that curve. Oh, nice. Um, so, wow. so they're vindicated. And, you know, the, the person who, the other person who's, you know, who made this possible was John Sargent, who's the former CEO of Macmillan USA. Because, because Sargent, you know, he, he gave me a chance, like, I did not know anything about business, and definitely not about the publishing business in America, especially. But like, I talked to him about this vision for an author driven house for comics for graphic novels. And it was like around 2004. And I bumped into him at a wedding. I didn't <laughs> even know who he was. Literally, my friend was getting married and she had been a nanny for his kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> and she was like, oh, that guy, John, you should talk to John. He's in publishing. And I was like trying to, you know, I was like a starving class designer at Simon & Schuster. And I went to the buffet. And later he told me that I just rambled on about graphic novels. I don't remember what I said to him. I don't think he remembered. But then like six months later, I get a call from him. And I had by then gotten my first picture book. And I, I was like, I thought like New York had opened its arms to me. And like, it was like, you know, everything was, was feeling pretty glorious after like really years of, of resistance. And in that same year, you know, he calls me in and I brought my portfolio thinking he was going to set me up with some art directors. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> for like my next picture book. And it, he didn't, we didn't even talk. I never opened my portfolio. He was like, okay, let's talk about graphic novels. Wow. And it was like, right then, you know, it was like Calvin Reed was doing this drum beat at PW every single week. There was a new piece about manga with numbers that were making people's heads spin. It was Borders books. You remember Borders I at remember the time? Borders. They, <laughs> Borders was like every every month there would be like another bay to put <laughs> yeah. the manga that nobody knew what to do with because they were just you know they were they were invading America and and it was like right at that moment all the all the publishers were aware that there was like millions of dollars changing hands with this manga business that that they weren't getting a piece of. So everybody was going like, what do we do? Do we ignore yeah. it? Do we, you know, it's a bit like the Beatles, like, you know, in Buckingham <laughs> Palace, when the Beatles were going crazy, they were like, what do we do? Do we shut this down or do we make them nights? Yeah, you know, that's literally what was going on with the Beatles. But but with, with this, it was kind of like, is this just a fad? Is this a real thing? And then some people tried like, okay, let's kind of do a tepid little attempt at an imprint or let's try and uh, let's do fake manga or let's try and buy up the real manga or let's start up our, our own superheroes and do kind of DC Marvel, you know, 2.0 and like a lot of terrible ideas, but <laughs> <laughs> oh, in yeah, the middle of yeah. that, right? In the middle of that, I happened to land in John Sargent's office. And he's like, okay, tell me, what what do we do about the graphic novel? And I was like, okay, look, I saw it happen in France and it happened in Japan. At a certain point, it just 
became part of the mainstream reading diet and it reached like everybody. And it wasn't now just like a little niche for like aging male readers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like, it was just part of like, if you're going to have a well-rounded reading life, it's going to have to include some of this stuff because there's some really, really, really good voices here. So I was like, I laid out this vision, which basically looked like first second in like 2014 it was like through all age categories adult and teen and children's which american publishing is not set up for mm -hmm. at all yeah. it's like very siloed by age categories more than anywhere else like if you talk to foreign editors they're all like why are american editors obsessed about age categories that's all they talk about all they talk about they're like all they want to know is like what age category it's like is it six to eleven or is it seven to fourteen is it, you know and they, they find that kind of baffling about about us here so i was all three age categories then we go after the literary conversation but we also make sure we get the direct market we get the 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 libraries and the the and that actually I didn't realize how important that was, but that was part of the picture, you know? So there was like this little vision of like, okay, I think, you know, to kind of come back in this like long-winded way to your question, um, Sean, is, is that it was like, okay, how do you set up like a, the best possible home for creators? So in a way, you know, for me, it was not, a business proposition first. It was this kind of idealistic, semi-crazy, naive <laughs> idea that it's like yeah. that it was possible somehow. And then, you know, that basically the means to that means you have to have a successful business that can support, you know, careers. So people even if the kind of entry is pretty steep into, into this career, you know, if you, if you make it work, you know, it should pay off, you know, it's gotta be viable um, at that level. So then it is important to have like a, a successful business, but it's not the first principle. So I think that's a very big difference. You know, it's like it, and it makes me sometimes seem like, like a total dreamer, sure. you know, like a, just kind of off his rocker doing some weird stuff and 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 i actually feel like the the if we have a year where something doesn't tank then we're probably losing our touch sure because <laughs> it's like it means we're not trying stuff we're not yeah. actually you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no exactly you have to you have to take a risk on stuff uh it, it, I've, I've told the story a, a few times already but the you know I, I'm I'm the poor man's version of the situation you got in like where you had the company to support you right and uh, it was just me wanting to do cool books with my friends really that's uh, where my imprint came from but and and we saw there was this artist that we had found it was a, a submission uh, and I was looking for an artist for a book and got a guy named Daniel Hilliard and his the funny thing was his pages came in like just a blind submission I sent them to Brian because I'm like all right is he tracing somebody because <laughs> 
this stuff looks way like nobody submits stuff like this. They're already working. Like he was at a much higher level, you know? And, uh, and so Brian looked at his pages like, I can't tell who he's, you know, who he's copying. Like if he's, you know, this looks like, the, you know, so we gave him some sample pages and he, he did it. And, you know, so we hired him and he did his first, like a four issue miniseries for me. And um, you could see him evolving as he went through the four issues. And then, so we put him on another book. And then another, and uh, Doug Wagner's a great friend and, and had written a ton of books for for me. And, and he and Daniel had worked on a few things and he comes to me with this pitch and like, this is the book we really want to do. And it was a serial killer who's retired, falls in love and the, the, the love of his life stops his urge to kill. And I'm like, okay, where's this going? And then, but it's a sex doll. And she gets taken away from them and from she gets kidnapped and held hostage and he has to save her. And I'm like, this is insane. You know, and, and I, I couldn't like to me, I was terrified because I'm like, I want to support my guys. <laughs> and but at the same time, like if it if it fails, it hurts my kids college fund. Right. And like it's there's, it's a real and like and inside I finally told Doug, I'm like, well, worst case scenario is we'll just print print it as a graphic novel. And, and I'll try to get it picked up somewhere like a European or something like, cause I don't think anybody in America is going to buy this. And then when they turned in like the first six pages or whatever, and Daniel's artwork had gone like completely to another level and the pages came in. I'm like, Holy shit, this is really fucking good. I mean, it looks amazing. And then the next batch of pages come in and then I'm reading the script and then the colors yeah. start and I'm like, this, and, and it turned out to be the most successful thing we'd ever done. Like it was a monster hit. And it's because you, you got to take chances. And I was terrified. I literally thought it's going to be me and Daniel's mom. And she's going to be afraid to read it, but she's going to buy it because <laughs> her son drew it. Like, I mean, there, is, there, is there a, like a kind of, I don't know, there's a kind of a, there's a right kind of fear that you know when you're actually, you know, actually venturing out. Yeah. That, yeah, and it's like you come to realize it's like it's your best friend, and it's not the same as like there's there's a place for like reasoned caution, but then there's times when you're like, oh no, I gotta do this, yeah. <laughs> and it's like okay, it may totally bomb or not, you know. And I feel like yeah. sometimes the ones that that failed, like the real failures, were were some of the projects where I thought like, oh, this will be a cash cow. Yes. Yeah. This yeah. is this is going to make us money. Let's, let's, and they invariably don't. So I, at a certain point, I figured like, that's just not my destiny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to be that publisher. <laughs> so it's people, like, I'm not good no, at that. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not looking down my nose at it at all because some people really do have a flair for like, they can make it, you know, they can figure out like, you know what? This is bank. <laughs> Mark, how do you make an imprint the most comfortable for artists? Because that was your modus operandi. So what did you do that nobody else was doing to make it the safest place for people to unleash their biggest ideas? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a work in progress. You know, it's not, it's, um, it's hard. You know, it's hard when, like, especially with something like a graphic novel where, you know, they don't all fly. And, you know, it's like, it's hard. Like, you know, when, when someone has like poured two years, three years at their drawing table into something that's like, you know, 
ends up being way below minimum wage, basically, for the time they've spent. If it just um, disappears, you know, into a super crowded marketplace. Uh, and, and that's hard. And so there's some stuff where I feel like there's inevitable heartbreak, you know, and you can't really, I don't think there's a way to, to prevent that. Um, because, and, and I think it's, it's part of the creative life, you know, it's like you are taking that chance, but in terms of, of creating a, an ecology, you know, that's kind of how I think of it a little bit. Like if you've ever made a terrarium, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like every everything you put in is gonna transform that environment, you know. And if you happen to put in like a little, you know, a cute little moss that you picked up in the forest and it came with bugs and they're gonna overrun that terrarium, you know, it's like you're it, it's a bit like that, like they're for for better and for worse. Like you're, you know, it's like you you create little ecosystems, you know, and so I think of the imprint it is like a, co a collection of ecosystems. Like we have some that are like little, almost like little satellites within for a second, like the science comics, right? Which is nonfiction for kids. And we have oh. 30 titles now. The science is super strong, super dense. And the cartooning is really good and, and you know, up to snuff. So it's, it's this really good stuff, perennial, and it's like a kind of a little, it's a little domain, you know? And then we have like the the world citizen comics that are like civics books, you know? And like, that's another experiment. So they're like little garden plots, you know, where there's different things growing, you know? And like right now, I'm really interested in getting our, you know, I feel like the, the toughest nut to crack for us has been the adult, you know, especially wow. adult, adult fiction. Um, yeah, just getting press, you know, just getting serious review. Oh, I feel it for it's hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, you yeah. know full well. I mean, it's just, you know, we can get incredible reviews in teen, in middle grade, in super young readers, in fiction, nonfiction, in all those categories. In adult, it's like there's still some of the stigma some of the something oh, yeah. you know it's yeah. just like you know like i've noticed the national book awards you know they they'll give they've given us the award i mean us i mean gene yang you know that he's gotten he's had honors nimona got the national book award so young readers they're okay giving the national book award to a, a graphic novel in adult no sign yeah. of any you know anyone getting nominated even the pulitzer after mouse zip it's <laughs> never it's like someone said that's never going to happen again <laughs> you know? yeah. well I, I do i do think uh, uh you know adult comics it, it's almost like an action film winning the academy award yeah you know there's just there's a certain kind of i think populist view of of comics that the adult, well, not not the adult readers themselves, but the people who give awards <laughs> yeah. for adult readers kind of go, no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, not. the award, and the award to me is like, it's just an example of like one of the ways that the world, but it's like, you know, the reviews in the New York Times book review in the New Yorker and the, it's very selective. It's very, you know, there's like a specific 
there's a specific kind of brand that they'll go for. But so, so that's interesting. And that I think the battle has already been won, but we're, we're ca- still catching up to it. And I say, <laughs> yeah. because, because, you know, like basically all the, the teens, all the, the middle grade readers of Raina Telgemeier are now, you know, young adults and young parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it's, it's like, it's basically, we're, it's like a, just a war of attrition. Eventually, <laughs> we're going to get them all, you know? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. the over 50 crowd that's the problem. And, you know, the people that look like me are the problem. You know, the, it's the, 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 the gray-haired guys that, that think graphic novels are for kids. They'll they'll move on away and the next generation will come up and then that's when you'll see, you know, the guy the people that have been raised on it. They're just open to and and it, you know, I, I don't I don't really begrudge anybody that like you you know what you grew up on. You know, you you you're you know like I like things that from the 80s and 70s and 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 the 90s more than we're creatures of habit. And so people they never understood like they made fun of people like me that read comics and in in high school and college and and whatnot we were the 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 outcast and so it's just hard to break through that because you know they'd much rather sit down with a novel that's a a traditional novel and read it than to to dare open a graphic novel and and they just you know i think it's 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 fine to give the kitty you know uh awards away you know reading that material and seeing that it's really good is probably a, a younger younger crowd but yeah, it'll change. It's 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 heading in that way. It's and- definitely going to change. You know, it's just some some parts have changed really fast, and we know that change does kind of suddenly, you know, happen. You know, it's like yeah. at a certain point, enough pressure has built, and boom, it's like there we are. We're in a new reality, and we saw that happen. You know, American born Chinese definitely changed the children's publishing landscape in America, like for sure, and then. Other events, you know, I think March was another milestone. Yeah, and then, yeah. Um, you know, for us, this one summer was the first, you know, first book ever to be both on the Caldecott and the Prince lists mm-hmm. at ALA. That that had never happened, and there it is. You know, and it's also one of the most banned. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which didn't, I don't think it hurt sales, but it's. So you know, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's yeah it's all shifting i think part of the battle got won when like a certain critical mass of just really good storytelling you know really great artistry it's like at a certain point it just tips and you you just can't avoid it you know it's just that plays a huge part of it is um is that that personal investment of passion yeah that um that you almost can't get from a superhero um, book or one of the uh, the big publishers. It's it's an artist, writers, publishers that are fully invested um, with with passion about, behind the product. And uh, and I think I think the level of just the language of storytelling has. And, and I think manga was a big part of this. It has just, the, the level has just risen so high. And, uh, and I think people are so accustomed to the, the form now that, uh, and it, it, it does offer something that black words on a page doesn't, doesn't quite accomplish. Yeah, well, it, it, and, and you could say the reverse is true also that, you know, the novel offers you things that it does better than you know 
image and word in in combination you know and and they're so they do different things they work on different parts of our minds yeah you know and and I, and I love that and I love that you know the truth the truth is like for all the fear in the you know not just in the 50s but even today a lot of parents are are you know are like oh no I want my kids to read real books and stuff <laughs> and, the, and the truth is like the literacy level is like way beyond the equivalent in prose you know when you look at the the vocabulary in like chapter books versus graphic novels for middle grade readers it's actually much more advanced it's denser storytelling it's like you know and but it but the parents are you know there's this idea it's it comes from a good place but it's it's actually not accurate you know it's not accurate like the you you have people now who are First of all, the young graphic novel readers of today are voracious readers of prose. Yeah, like and that you know, ask librarians; they 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 can confirm it. They've they've researched it. You know, so so that part, you know, that's also another battle. That's it's been won. It's just a lot of people haven't got the news yet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of librarians, yeah. did, did COVID alter any of your editorial or strategic goals going forward? Or was it kind of just the same thing over like, you know, you still had your librarians coming back, but did you have to refocus on anything or alter it? You mean like for the content of what we're doing or? Yeah, the content or the strategy, because you had people at home, you didn't have librarians there as gatekeepers for a while. Well, that was the weird thing was like, you know, we were almost like scared to say it, but it was like we were having a completely, you know, bumper crop, you know, for, for, the, the first year of the pandemic yeah, it was like us. It, it, it was be, it was obvious that it's like we were producing something that that people needed you know that people yeah. had wanted more more than before even the librarians are i mean the librarians have always been there um i don't know if we changed the thing is you know we're the, a graphic novel is a kind of a lumbering creature, like in the in our day of like super rapid everything and so, <laughs> yeah. you know, nine second movies and like, and it's actually like two, three, four years of projects. You know, we have stuff in the pipeline like to 2026. Wow. You know, and like, I mean, you know, there's most of it between now and about 25, I'd say, but it, but a lot, we have about 300 books in the pipeline and it's like, you know the stuff that's coming out today right is been set in motion so far back so it's like in terms of strategy we we can't necessarily be nimble so the thing that's interesting <laughs> about that is uh i was around when you guys first did the adventure zone and the thing i was thinking about that was so ingenious and this may have just been a happenstance was that even before covid people were getting into podcasts then during COVID, they went fully into podcast, yeah. as well as taking off on D&D sessions on Zoom. And you yeah. had TAZ, The Adventure Zone, blowing up. Then you released your graphic novel, and it kind of felt like someone just like playing a power chord on an amp and like your hair blowing back. And then all of a sudden, you sold a million copies of a book. Right. Like to me, yeah, like so if you could have figured that out that strategy, I would yeah. herald you like in a Harvard business case. Well, that's the thing is like, you know, so we, so we, I mean, it's a weird thing, you know, it's like 
do we deserve credit for good timing? I don't know. I, you know, I do know that first second had like a, a, a set of things just come together at its inception where it was just like, I mean, there was a lot of hard work involved and a lot of having to learn and figure things out, but there was also a weird easement to the whole thing where it was kind of like a sense of like things wanting to happen and and suddenly people coming appearing when they were needed oh, wow. <laughs> i mean really it was like that so and i don't know you can't manufacture that you can't you know you can only just be i mean it's a little bit like i don't know if you're into soccer at all i i hated soccer growing up because it was like imposed on me as the national religion <laughs> in France. Um, but my son, you know, he, he part of his charisma is on the soccer field, like that he shines. And so I've had, you know, I've basically developed a, a late in life um, interest in soccer. And I was watching, the, you know, the World Cup and you have this Lionel Messi who's like, you know, maybe one of the greatest players of all time, right? Or oh no, maybe. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, Mbappe. Give Mbappe a couple of years, and he's yeah. Crazy. But but so Messi. It's really interesting, you know. Like I watch him, and I'm kind of like, what is this? What is this? Like, why? How can someone so often have such amazing timing? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and when you look at Messi, it's a really weird thing. Most of the time, it looks like the guy is like just wandering around on the field, like like he got lost and he, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, it looks a bit like that, but it's not because he, he he's definitely fully present and watching, and he's like and he's there. Then the magic happens. And yeah, right place, right time. It's at the right <laughs> yeah. place at the right time. Yeah. And it's like, and you can't, like, how do you explain that? How do you, you can't really calculate that. But, you know, part of it is like getting in a state of of readiness. His, yeah. his whole life is like r- making ready for that moment. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, I think it's like sex, right? It's like where for a man, it's like, if you're like drunk all the time and you're you're you know and if you're kind of like sloppy and you're eating crap and you're just not really and then you really kind of want to turn it on it the equipment doesn't really work like that yeah you actually need to be you know and i'm not saying this as somebody who's like super fit and stuff but it, but i know like the times when you're in that kind of readiness that and the magic wants to happen it happens it can happen yeah. and, and you can be kind of equal to the task right and, yeah. and so i think there's something about you know one of the things we try and do within for a second is to always kind of cast up like what's possible what haven't we thought of you know what what haven't we tried yet you know what what how what's what's the next surprise that we have in store that nobody sees coming you know so it's, oh, it's wow. like it's like a searching for like a kind of readiness that's a bit open you know and then it's like every so often something comes and you can respond your lineup right now is uh it makes me vaguely angry 
Well, the first comic I ever did was a collaboration with Nico Case and Emily Carroll. Emily Carroll. And I'm like, what's Emily Carroll up to? Because she, her her creative decisions to me are uh, unexpected. Yeah, she's awesome. She's a genius. I mean, she's got it. And then I see that she's making what? Like a 200? Like, it's it's a massive book. Wow. It's like, oh, Mark's doing it. Has that cover been... Is, has that cover been revealed yet or no? So it's funny because... I think it did. I think it came out. I, sh- I should know, but I'm like... I didn't see any press about it. And then I found it on Amazon. And I was like, Emily Carroll... I tweeted out, Emily Carroll's doing a book. And it got retweeted like thousands of times. <laughs> and then I was like... She's incredible. I'm like, She's Morgan, a, yeah. did, did, did I blow something? Did, did, I, did I do a bad... No, I mean, like, I think if it was... Yeah. And she was like, no, you're okay. <laughs> But yeah, like, how do you secure this? Because you also got Miyazaki's like long lost tome as well. How do you pursue that? How do you get the best of the best under your umbrella? You know, there's like, there's different, there's like the masculine pitching after things. And then there's the feminine spinning. Sure. And the spinning is the, is, is basically making something that something wants to come into. Okay, yeah. my my brain you know? just melted a little bit. I think this is the poetry you were describing beforehand. No, no, but it, yeah, no, it is, but it's also it's also super practical. Like it's you know, in terms of like Miyazaki, you know, it's it's funny that the same year. I mean, I had several things like this where there was a project that came like Miyazaki. If it had been an auction, every other house would have outbid us by. Ah, yeah, yeah. 10 to 1. But it wasn't an auction because they just they wanted to work with for a second. So we had like their agent was like, hey, I have Studio Ghibli. It's like someone calls you up and says, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I have God on the line. Are you interested? <laughs> and so and it, and it, and we were like, you know, we still had to, I mean, it was like we had to really legitimize like how we were going to handle the material we had to send you know before they signed anything and we had to send um dummy books with like different types of paper we might suggest using we had to you know i mean we were this was going to be like you know are you going to do right (laughs) by the master that's 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 pretty cool it's like they they call you up to say now you may court us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a, a little bit. I don't know if they'd be okay with that characterization, but they, yeah. No, I mean, it was like, you know, and we, and it was like, I think we, everybody at Macmillan kind of like bent over backwards, you know, like, mm. you know, from everyone from like contracts to marketing to both. It's like, you know, whatever you say, whatever you want goes, you know, and we have, and now this, this is the book here. I have a copy right here, which, which is, you know, we, we heard this actually just um, about a month ago that Miyazaki was holding this copy in his hand and telling the team that this was going to be the model for all the foreign editions. Wow. And so they're wow. using this is this format and the you know the way we did the case, you know everything like, and the the size and the specs and the type of paper we use, and also the 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 way the files were you know we we went through 
I mean, our art director, Kirk Benchoff, was on press for this. You know, he was like, he was doing press. Nobody does press checks anymore these days, but he was on press, you know, checking. And the paper, you know, the watercolor, this is Miyazaki's own watercolor work, you know, like. Wow. And it's like, you know, when you see this, it's like, it's totally like the way it was spent. I mean, I don't think I have um, the, the original Japanese one here, but it's like, it's a tiny little thing <laughs> on a glossy paper, you know, which, and it flattens out the watercolor like crazy. Like it, you don't even know how good the art is when you see it, you know? So yeah, we, you know, that kind of stuff. I think it's that spinning thing of like, it took the 17 years of like making a setting and just broadcasting certain values, you know, like in certain, you know, and, and then weirdly enough, like this, this was the other one that came in where the Clash of Clans books were, which, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. writing and Clash of Clans, you know, Gene and I had our kids at, at San Diego Comic-Con in probably in like 2013. And they were doing like little mini zines of Clash comics. <laughs> and they were selling them at Gene's table in Artist Alley. And we were like, I mean, Gene has, his, he had already taken off as, a, as an artist, but we were like, oh my God, this could totally be like asterisks for a new generation. Like if we could just, and it was like a seven year courtship. This was like going after their supercell is in Helsinki. And I was like talking to people in Finland going like, could we do like a really great high quality? And they were like, yeah, no, thanks. You know, what exactly can I offer them? It's like, <laughs> yeah, they, um, they, don't, they don't need anything you have they to didn't. offer. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, and I went chasing after the people who made their videos on YouTube. And it was like, I tried everything, everything, everything. And there was this person who I had befriended who was a consultant on it for in the animation world and in various kind of Hollywood things. And she was, she, she knew about one of my attempts to, to get Clash of Clans. And they were basically, they were very sweet, but they were like, you know, we don't want to be angry birds. We don't want to flood the market with crap, but thanks for your interest, you know? And, and I was like, but Jin Yang, but, you know, really good quality. It's like, no, thanks. And then this woman that I'd known for a few years, she ends up consulting for Supercell when they decide to open a U.S. headquarter, mm. Berkeley, or in uh, in the Bay Area somewhere. And she's and and now you have a bunch of Americans who are handling the IP, <laughs> and they're very interested in comics. <laughs> and she happens to be there for a short, like three month stint. She's there at that moment. And she says, don't talk to anybody but for a second. <laughs> wow. So that's the line of and then we're like, moment right there. I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's like, it's crazy. So, and you can't, I think you can't really predict that stuff, but it's like, you can definitely kind of, you know, you, you can put out a signal. Well, you know, you're, you're kind of like, you're kind of like the, the restaurant that, you know, maybe you've got a, a big financial backer, but it's your restaurant. 
and you've cultivated your staff is the same staff. You know, they, they, they stay with you. The, the, the patrons come back and they tell everybody about your restaurant and it just grows and it grows and it grows by word of mouth and, and because the quality's there. Right. And so that's, that's to me, that's what it feels like what you've built. You've, you've got a restaurant and it's, it's not a chain. It's your restaurant and people know, like they book their reservation a year in advance or whatever. Um, and, you know, like you just hope you don't become the guy in the menu uh, down the road. <laughs> but, um, yeah. No, I mean, really, it, it's like you've, you've, you've built a restaurant and, and people know about it all around the world. And that's really, it, it's truly impressive. And Sean has told me some of your story and, and, but now like actually hearing this, I'm just like blown away. I mean, it's truly, truly amazing then you should be very proud. Thank you. I own a, I've got a little gas station place that sells burgers behind the, where they pump the gas. <laughs> That's my restaurant. But uh, uh, I'm, Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, it was funny because it was like originally, you know, I think on the books, it was like when I was offered an imprint, like typically when you have an imprint, it's like, it's your name. And I knew that it's like, it needs to be something that doesn't belong to me. Yeah. It's like, I should be able to walk away and, and it's like, it's got its life. Right. And that's so, so that's the, the setting that up. Um, no, I was about to say like one thing that I don't, I think you would notice this, but other people wouldn't is just impeccable global awareness of comics. And also just like how America is so underserved and these categories you're able to introduce. You're like a global buffet of all these creators will never know. So where do you think, we are currently underserved that you've noticed. What can't you wait to expose? I mean, I, I'm interested in, you know, I obviously I have my soft spot for the Frenchies and and, um, and they produce 4,000 comics a year in a country, in a market that's 10 times smaller than this one. Wow. And there's some incredible stuff being created there. But I think also what's really interesting is the cross-pollinating now between the kind of broader Asian school, the European school, the American school, and the Americas, you know, because it's like, I feel like the um, there's interesting stuff happening in South and Central America that people never hear about too much up here. Um, and and here, I mean, it's a, in North America, you know, Canada, and there's no ba there's no border for comics um, between yeah. the U.S. and Canada. So my I think the stuff that's interesting is is uh, you know you you get more and more of these creators where you can't quite tell which school they're from. It's actually it becomes this kind of they're not so separate anymore. I think um, of the divine it, when you say that. Yeah. Oh, the book, The Divine. Yeah. 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 The, uh, the 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 Tomer and Asap Hanukkah. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example. I mean, there there's quite a few who do it all, in all different ways, you know. And um, but I do feel like with with France, it's hard. You know, we we try and bring stuff, but it's like it's still a drop in the bucket, you know. And and we also we do put out some things. And I don't know if you saw like Wondrous Wonders, which is like a young readers thing it's just this gorgeous it's like a kind of a Miyazaki weird whimsy that feels like true to childhood true to a child's imagination wow and there's stuff like that which I kind of wish they would get more visibility you know here 
um you know we did we put out like the golden age that's cyril pedrosa who's like oh, a, a so beautiful he's a master but yeah. you know it's weird you know at every comic-con we get people coming up talking about cyril pedrosa and cyril pedrosa and the three shadows it's like you know i just don't know how to sell more of them you know like <laughs> <laughs> i just don't i just you know we we keep trying you know every so often we get like a hit penelope bajur is like probably the greatest uh ambassador of, to, for french comics mm -hmm. and we got we really had a hit with brazen and we have a, a really cool memoir of hers coming up um, but i i do think that there's there's a lot going on over there that is 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 amazing and doesn't make it here you know so mm. much for love was a really really good book and that's like that's like medicine for our times you know i mean it's like it's a, it's basically a little primer on malignant narcissists <laughs> i was talking to your publisher and i was just like how do you sell this it's so good but it's so hard to articulate all that value you know yeah 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 I mean that stuff you know it's like <laughs> it's it's um it's a book i've given to a few people because it's like you know it's good it's a good antidote <laughs> i mean I, I think sometimes we get in our conversation so brian and kevin and the audience this is a book about one woman's struggle with a, a narcissist a true narcissist yeah, yeah. like a wow. textbook textbook yeah and textbook the narcissist. End, the interesting cool thing is she actually goes into psychology and the way to deal with this if you're suffering from something else but like it was a page turner like i couldn't stop reading it i think i wiped it out in an afternoon yeah yeah i'm glad you're mentioning it yeah it's uh it's it's a really helpful guide and it's also you know a totally personal story of like the kind of gaslighting and the kind of self-doubt and the kind of, you know, all the traps and all the kind of snares and all this deception and this kind of monstrous manipulation. And and now it's weird, you know, I was just talking about this with my wife, Sienna, how it's something about our times has kind of flushed this out into the open. And now we know we had a malignant narcissist, you know, took over the Oval Office in it's like suddenly that's a term that people are familiar yeah. with, you know, and I know, I mean, I have a friend, she, she, you know, she, it took her 20 years to escape, you know, from a marriage with a, a malignant narcissist, you know, and she real, she came to realize she'd married a devil, <laughs> you know, cause wow. it's an incurable, it's an incurable when it's like that kind of closed loop where basically a person, everything that happens reinforces the syndrome yeah so you yeah. have to you know get yourself out like you there's nothing you can do or say you know so <laughs> yeah. it, that will change them it's yeah, like it's, it's actually it's like that right so yeah there isn't that that epiphany that that moment of oh i'm sorry <laughs> and, it, and it's like if you get a malignant narcissist you know saying deciding to do some introspection they either come out the victim or the hero <laughs> wow. every time because yeah. that's all they ever are in any story yeah. um so so that to me is like a great example of like this book answers a need Mm -hmm. You know, like I want my daughter, you know, before she gets like really serious out there, you know, to have like a little bit of this remedy, 
you know, like a little vaccine shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, and, and I love, and that's like, that can be a reason to put a book in the world, you know, is, is like, okay. It's like, we need this, you know, we have a really good world citizen book coming out called um, the fire hose of falsehood, which is unpacking oh. the, the, a propaganda method that is highly effective, you know? And so that's useful. You know, we have the Gaslit Nation ladies. I don't know if you know that podcast. It's uh, Sarah Kenzie or Andrea Chalupa. They're like specialists on authoritarianism. And they've been oh. like since 2014, they've basically been like way, way, way ahead of any media, you know, just warning about what's happening with the takeover of autocrats. And and they pull no punches, and they have a great book with us called Dictatorship. It's easier than you think, <laughs> and it's like, and you have to check out. I mean, check out the cover online. It's just, it tells you everything about like the tone and like the wit and the humor, but it really does unpack this the playbook of dictators, uh, which we need. Like we we really do need to be a little more immune. Right. Um, so I don't know. Oh, like yeah. How, like our conversation went into the narcissists and the dictators. Well, I mean, that's the beauty <laughs> of it is you just you feel this in the air. There's no marketing information that would say this is the direction we can go. It's true trailblazing editorial. And, and you're not taking. Oh, well, wait till you see like we have a medical. Oh, we have some really cool nonfiction stuff and, and actually some fiction that I think is like. Well, I, I really think it's this incredibly fascinating because some, sometimes you know a lot of these stories that people want to tell to a certain extent they feel too small yeah and and it's just like i think it's hard for someone on their own to get a story like that out into the world because it's a story that uh, that seems too small or too insular but it's really important uh, that that story uh, be told and uh, and I like the fact that you're you're bringing some of that stuff out. You're publishing some of that stuff because it is it it is really important to have that stuff out there. And and I think sometimes you don't realize because it feels small. You don't realize that there's a big audience out there for something like that. You know, and uh, and a lot of the books that uh, that, that you've talked about. That's one of the things that I found fascinating about going to Japan and doing European conventions is that um, it's more than just entertainment. Uh, it's They're writing stories for entertainment, but they're also just as important writing stories for education. Uh, and, and sometimes the line between the two really gets blurred. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think comics is like it, it's a it's a medium that connects in our times, you know. Like, and I think it's like at different decades, different periods, different generations. Like, some a certain medium feels like the right medium for the moment, you know. And I think for a lot, a lot of people right now, reading, like having a, a visual literacy and a verbal literacy and that the, the magic that happens those two together is very natural, you know, for a lot of people. And it's, uh, 
It's 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 a really specific thing, you know. Uh, that's that's one of the things that um, that fascinates me about about your work is uh, even when you um, go to uh, to Tiny Dancer, just the way that that's uh, illustrated is a really important part of the story. There's a a certain bit of um, abstraction that you do with the uh, with the characters that really add uh, that extra layer uh, to the uh, to the story. And uh, and I think as as a person who's an artist and, and and I'm obsessed about like doing this art thing, it's reading a story like that and the way that you treated that sense of obsession uh, was just really, you know, I mean, it's 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 something that's very recognizable in in just the way you treated the art. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, that 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 was a uh, unlike any other project that I that I've been in. I mean, partly because I was working with my wife Sienna and her story, and but it was like a kind of um, I've never I've never quite had that level of joy. Oh, wow. With the line line work, I felt like I was actually in a in a very um, it was very meditative, you know, and it was um, it was a it was a it was an odd time to be working, but it was also, you know, I think and for Sienna, she really she she wrestled that story out of herself. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really, I mean, for her, it was it was real hard work. It was hard, hard work. And for me, it was it was pleasure. Like, I mean, mm. the, uh, it, but it was kind of a mysterious experience too, you know. It's, uh, well, and even even the choice to um to limit yourself to a black and white palette, you know, on uh, on that, uh, I think I think there's a when, when you when you drain the color out of the language, it seems like so much more direct, you know, sort of, um, so 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 much more kind of uh, kind of hard hitting. And and I think you knowing that with the art, and I and I think part of that probably comes from um, growing up in uh, in in Europe because that's something that's a part of the the European, particularly the uh, French and Italian um, uh, culture with uh, with storytelling is you really feel the comics more so than look at the comics. Mm, I love that. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Well, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you were saying about the, you know, having a limited palette and like, in, in general, I think it's good to, I think an artist craves constraint. You know, you need to find the right constraint that works for you. And I, in some ways, you know, today and, and now with AI, you know, which is not, is I, I don't have, um, I think it's a new tool that's appearing that's like it's going to be used and it's going to be misused and it's like I don't you know a tool is a neutral thing ultimately but oh yeah well we we, we screwed up photoshop we screwed up oh, yeah. airbrushing we screwed up <laughs> I mean, yeah. and, and you know, eventually the artist kind of figured it out you know? yeah exactly and at first what happens when you get like the early photoshop art with like too many gradients and airbrush effects and stuff and filters and and that's like the tool is more powerful than the artist, and you know then eventually, it it serves it serves uh, human intention, but I do think that the the constraint 
is a is a source of power like you know finding a constraint to to a story to a uh, too much freedom is, I don't think, great for creativity. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Too much, too much freedom, too much choices, <laughs> and even, even too much time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Mm. Um, I saw a video where you talked about, like, um, uh, with uh, with Sailor uh, Twain, all of the research that you did, and that it was just almost a decade of of just research and looking through maps after investing so much of that time in actually sort of world rebuilding do you think that kind of helped you as far as world creating in your later work i mean i i'm guessing yes because you i think you know you I don't know how it is for everybody, I, but I know for myself, in general, projects are, you know, I, I'm warm to my current project. And then once it's done, I go cold to it. Um, <laughs> and, and, then it and it's kind of like the process, you know, leaves its trace in you and the journey yeah. you've made and, and all that has, you know, however you've transformed and grown in the process um whatever you've wrestled with like that you take on into whatever you do next yeah, yeah. but so you know so I, I do think like with world building you know it, it, you definitely want it's like people need to be fed with rich impressions and foods right if they're gonna it's like you get this problem with young um young artists, young cartoonists say, and you can tell right away if they're, you look at their, their work, their, their early attempts at things. And you're like, okay, all you read is manga. (laughs) It's like, go to a museum, you know, go traveling, you know, meet some people who who've never read a comic, you know, do, do like get like, you need a rich, diet of stuff you know getting into your faculties and into you know otherwise you get this like really tight narrow little bandwidth to play with you know yeah yeah. and then if you're world building then it's like you know it's the keyhole of (laughs) (laughs) whatever style you know you you happen to like you know and and we've all been there i think um which is why I really do think, you know, as you get older, um, you you just have more years of yeah, yeah. having gathered stuff, right? Yeah, well, and, and, and I also think um, something that I found fascinating, especially with, um, with reading the, uh, the Five Worlds is even though you've done this extensive world building, you almost treat people like a native language learner. You know where, where it's you never explain things. I worried that we explained too much in book one, especially. But... Well, one one of the things that um, that I thought was interesting is is you know I jumped into uh, reading it and there wasn't like a primer of this is the world and right, all of right. this like stuff. It was just like you hit the ground and, and you're running and. And I think the the personal interaction of the characters 
was enough to get me interested. Oh, well, that was totally a dream. I mean, that was a yeah, but but the world building sort of, yeah, it happened in the background. And well, we got better, like our our storytelling levels up suddenly in book three, hmm. uh, and that's partly because of I think the feedback we were we were able to get, and also our own our own comfort with it. Like Ursula K. Le Guin talks about how um, your your world building has to be very very finely ground. And yeah. it's like, and there's big clumps in the first two books, <laughs> but it, but by book three, we suddenly, we were like, okay, we've laid down enough pipe and now, now we can really just stay with the characters and in. Yeah. Please yeah. tell me that's a joke because that book has tons of pipes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that book does have a ton of pipes. That book does have a ton of pipes. So that's probably not the expression, unless I really mean to. But, but yeah, the um, I that was actually one of the dreams. Was like we had a few, there were a few kind of gambits that we had. Was one was if you could just be dropped in to like a very foreign, very exotic world, yeah, and just have to find your way until it makes sense yeah well that's 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 really what um what it felt like you know it it, it you know because it, it felt familiar with the um with the emotional interaction uh between the uh the characters um you kind of set up uh, mysteries that was just like oh, okay well what's what's that little thing all about but then in the background you're learning all of this information about all of these just magical things that um that i and and it was really interesting kind of as as a chef myself kind of what like watching that and kind of going oh okay that's interesting the way he's doing that so oh, so i was, was, I was really so fascinated by, so that, by that by that system of uh, of uh, of storytelling especially for for something as dense and and i mean people People tend to toss around the word the word epic, <laughs> but I think I think you've kind of deserved it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and it was meant to be dense. I mean, we that was one of the things that we wanted to do. You know, one of the things I love about comics is like I see it with my kids. You know, like it's disheartening sometimes when you create comics, right? And I'm sure everybody can vouch for this. If you spend two, three years or more on something and someone tears through it in 45 minutes or <laughs> it's like, you're like, you just want to shoot yourself. You know, he's like, but then what's interesting is like, you know, I realized this with my kids, like from age six on, they had like a set of books, like a growing bookshelf that was just in kind of perennial cycling. And they would read, you know, 20 30 times you know and so we yeah. wanted to do that was one of the things alexis and i decided with five worlds was like okay we're going to try and do a book that 
on the 20th reading, you're still discovering some yeah. little thing. Well, that's, you know, that's, like, that's the thing that I love about Frank Herbert. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When I was, when I was young and reading Frank Herbert, it was one story, you know, sort of, but then when I read it again, it was just like, oh, I didn't notice this whole political. Now that I'm a little yeah. bit more politically aware, I didn't yeah. see this happening, you know, so, um, so it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's really kind of cool um reading that's something great. that's just like oh this is this is a rich you know sort of well-developed world oh that's lovely mark i think that's the perfect note to end this on thank you so thank very you much thank you so much it's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah no thank you thank you all of you it's it's uh it's great hanging out and and you know I feel like we could keep chewing the fat for many hours together. It's... There's more episodes oh, yeah. of it. Podcasts are not exhaustible. <laughs> so, so, so if you have anything around the corner, we will absolutely celebrate it at that time. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and really, um, just the the choices that you've made to, to do comics, that it is the dream. I mean, it, it, it's 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 the 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 elusive dream, and the fact that you've made these choices and these choices of work, and you're doing books that are not only entertaining but they're just fantastic and they're important. I think that's the the coolest thing in the world, and it's uh, it's it's fascinating uh, when when you see sort of one of us get over the wall. <laughs> you know, it's just really fascinating. So, so thanks, thanks, thanks for Brian. doing that. Well, this was a, a lot of encouragement from you guys. <laughs> Very kind. <laughs> <laughs>